When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is a combination of one and done and lesser known but equally entertaining meaning if this is your first time joining me I like to feature more obscure radio programs whether they aired once or were on the airwaves for a few years but just aren't as widely known as some of the more popular series as Lights Out Inner Sanctum Suspense etc. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series that will be highlighted tonight are Violence and The Eleventh Hour. Now, a quick rundown on both programs. Violence only aired once on CBS. May 8th, 1952 and it was an audition recording which we would refer to as a pilot episode and unfortunately it wasn't picked up the name of the radio play is Case of Arthur Bowman and it stars Harry Bartell Dick Beals and was directed by Norman McDowell now would I consider this to be horror no But I do find it a bit suspenseful and it put me in the mindset of law law and order for some reason. Following that is the 11th hour. Wasn't able to find out too much information on this series other than it was based out of South Africa and began in 1941 and may have ended in 1946. Being out of all the episodes, only one had a date. And that was February 27th, 1946. The radio play tonight is entitled Lord Marley's Guest. And this was written by Willis Cooper, who was the creator of the radio series Lights Out. And this was performed on Lights Out numerous times. But I do like this adaptation also. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Case of Author Bowman, followed by Lord Marley's Guest. Violence. True stories of why crimes are committed. Presented in the hope that these factual cases will help you, the citizens, to understand the forces that motivate crime and to aid in its prevention. This is the story of... 
violence. Practically every modern law enforcement agency today employs the services of a consultant whose job it is to discover the true motives behind the prisoner's act against society. One of these consultants is Dr. Richard Morley. This is his report on the case of Arthur Bowman, who committed murder. district attorney presented to me details of the murder and subsequent confession by the prisoner, Arthur Bowman. It was a particularly brutal crime, strangulation and beating. The accused man was highly emotional during police questioning. He freely admitted to the crime but denied a motive. Bowman had no previous record and neighbors testified to his excellent character. I had my first interview with the murderer that afternoon in the prison. Hello, Mr. Bowman. I'm Dr. Morley. I've come here to help you find out why this happened. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I've told them. Oh, that's all right. Cigarette? No. You sure? It's all right if you want to. Thanks. I'd like to ask you one or two things. I don't know. I don't know. How old are you, Mr. Bowman? Forty-four. I understand you have a couple of children. Yes. Boys? Boy, a girl. Look, I don't want to answer any more questions. Why don't you go away? Tell me about them. I love them. Sure I do. They're good kids. What's going to happen to them? I, I must have been crazy. I, I, I must... I must... <laughs> what about your wife? Were you happy before this happened? I don't know. I, I don't. Listen, you're a doctor. I I know why you're here. Will you help me? Please. We'll see. So that you can put me in an electric chair. That's why you're here, isn't it? No. That's not the reason. I'd tell you why, if I could. I just... I know. Tell me, Mr. Bowman, what about when you were a kid? Big family? Four. I was the oldest. Jack was the baby and the two girls. Mm -hmm. Did you have fun? I guess so, sometimes. My mother was pretty strict. I had to help her take care of the others. It was rough on my mother. She had the baby when I was ten. You, you know how it is. Yes. I, I didn't want it to be that way with my kids. I wanted them to have fun. I guess she couldn't understand the way I felt. Your wife, May? Yeah, May. Like the time I wanted to take them all on a boat ride up, up the river for a day. I, I I planned it for a surprise on Sunday. I, I told her about it Saturday night after the kids were... Get another dishcloth, Arthur. That one's getting wet. Sure. May? What? I got an idea. Uh, we doing anything tomorrow? No. Good. Oh, what do you say if we take the kids up the river tomorrow? You know, a, a picnic. They'd have a fine time on the boat. The, the Henrys are going. Oh, fine. 
That's just fine. I suppose you made the date just like that. You didn't ask me, of course. You don't stop to think that I got the kids every day, day in and day no, out. No, I, I didn't say that. You don't think maybe I'd like to go out on Sunday? Do something that I want to do? I thought you'd like it. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? You and Doug Henry go off and talk about fishing. I'm stuck with the kids and Nancy. That'd be fun for me, wouldn't I wouldn't it? go with Doug. I bet you wouldn't. Like the last time you went bowling. What time was it you got in? Do we have to go through that again? That's just the way you are. Just nothing but selfish. You're not thinking of me or the kids. It's just you. Well, I'm tired, too. You can think of me for once. I think of you. Oh, get out of my kitchen. I'm sick of it. Did you go on the boat? Yeah, we went. Guess she wanted to show me what a great sacrifice she was making. What about this fellow, Henry? Doug, you said? A friend? Yeah. Doug, Doug's all right. We, we go bowling together every week. We used to. You said something about coming home late one night. Yeah. We got through bowling early and Doug wanted a beer. I, I don't drink much. I guess I never liked it. But I said, okay, we Anything all right, sir? Oh, everything's great, honey. Great. Another beer for me and my friend. No more for me, Don't Duncan. listen to him, honey. He thinks he's getting old. Two beers. Sure, right away. Hardy, uh-huh. <laughs> Hardy, I saw you. <laughs> nice looking kid, huh? <laughs> um, uh, Doug, Doug, do, do you have any fun at home? Huh? You, you know what I mean. How, how do you get along with Nancy? Boy, she gets along with me. That's the way it is in my house. She gets along with me or else. Uh, but, but do you have any fun? Sure we do. I'm Tom Rover, the fun-loving Rover boy. <laughs> I guess I, I guess it would be nice. Huh? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that beer's kind of strong, you know, and I'm... I, I'm, I'm not used to it. Yeah. Makes a man of you. A couple of more and you don't feel any pain, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Where have you been? With Doug. Gee, I didn't realize it was so late. You've been waiting up? You're drunk. Oh, I had a couple of beers with Doug, that's all. Doug. Sure, we got through bowling early. Did you? Oh, May, I'm sorry. Listen. No, you listen. I'm fed up. Coming home in the middle of the night, drunk. Disgusting. I'm ashamed for the neighbors. The kids. Oh, they don't. I'm, I'm just sorry. I didn't do anything. Get away from me. But I only want to kiss you. Kiss? You. I wish you were... What? 
You wish I was what? Keep your voice down. Maybe I wish sometimes, too. Maybe I do. But you'll wake up the kids. Well, let them wake up. Do them good. Dirty little spoiled brats. Let them wake. <laughs> May. May, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean what I said. May, please, I'm sorry. May. That was the conclusion of the first questioning of Arthur Bowman. There was no doubt that he was aware of the magnitude of his crime. He'd shown a marked hostility to his wife in his statements. There'd been no attempt to hide that, or his feeling of guilt concerning the night when he'd arrived home from his bowling party with Douglas Henry. On May 7th, Bowman spoke of his job, his employer and the employer's secretary. His position with the company was minor, and he felt a great frustration in that fact. Other younger men came into the business and were promoted. He was not. Here, Bowman returned to his feeling of remorse over his wife and children. He wanted to talk about the puppy, which was brought into the home two weeks before the murder. She brought it for the kids. You know, I made a big fuss about it. I, I never liked dogs much. One night I came home, I was... to my hat. Look. You've had it ever since I can remember. Now you can get a new one. It was filthy anyway. Daddy hit Pinky, Mama. He's under the couch and he won't come out. We've got to get rid of that dog. I won't have my things destroyed. We've got to get rid of it. You're acting like a child. Hitting a baby puppy. It's all right, Pinky. It's all right. Let me hold him. He's mine. All right, children. Take him in the kitchen. It's time for his supper. Come on, come on. You better get washed up, Arthur. As soon as the puppy's fed, we'll eat. Do you know why you didn't like the dog, Mr. Bowman? Oh, I, I don't know. My, my mother had one when I was a kid. It was a big dog. I remember it bit me and I was scared of it, but she kept it anyway. Did you get rid of him? I mean, your children's puppy. Well, I wanted to, but they wouldn't let me. Always babying it. It made me sick. Then one morning, I was on my way to work. I was a couple of minutes late. And Mr. Heston, he, he's my boss, like I told you. He's always giving me a funny look when I'm late. Well, the car was parked in the driveway. I hadn't put it away the night. Arthur! Yes? Have you seen Pinky? No. I haven't got time. I'm late. Tell Terry to. All right, but look under the car, though, before you drive out. He might be there. Okay, okay. Well, I hope there isn't much traffic. I'm going to be late. Oh! Oh, I forgot to look. I didn't look. At... I did it. I killed it.
Heart disease is one of America's first causes of disability and death. Your gifts have greatly helped our scientists and doctors in gaining new knowledge about this disease. Let's keep on helping them until every heart in America is protected. Please mail a generous gift to Heart, care of your local post office. And now, back to violence. The motive behind Arthur Bowman's act of murder was becoming increasingly evident. The effect upon him by the domineering and strict mother was aggravated in later life by his unhappy and frustrated wife. The killing of the dog functioned only as a detonator. The total explosion was yet to come. On May the 9th, we held our fourth interview. I've been thinking about what we were talking of last time. The dog. Yes. Well, why didn't I look under the car when May told me to? I I was late, but I I didn't want to run over it. I I never do a thing like that. Do you think it's possible that you did want to get rid of it? And not looking was an easy way? Your excuse? No, oh, no, no, I... I didn't even know it was there, under the car. You didn't look. It might have been. What happened at home after the dog was run over? Well, they wouldn't talk to me. May, the kids, they, they thought it was my fault. I felt like I did when I was a kid. And, and one day I hit the baby and my mother made a big fuss about it. She didn't talk to me for a week. Did you feel that May was behaving the way your mother did? I guess so. Did you resent it? Well, I was sorry about the dog, but it was only a dog. They, they didn't have any right to treat me like that. Did you feel that they'd given to the dog the affection that you wanted? Sure, sure, that's what they did. Man comes home tired from work, and all he hears is what the dog did. Nobody cared what I did. You were telling me a little about your job the other day, Mr. Bowman. Now, your employer's name is Heston, isn't it? Yeah, I've been, I've been there for nine years. You said you were in the accounting department? Yeah. I should have been the head of it a long time ago, but it's all politics. Was Mr. Heston unfair to you? I don't know. He didn't like me much, always making cracks. Like the time I was getting ready to quit for the day a couple of weeks ago. Was that before the dog was run over? No, after seven or eight days. Through, Arthur? Just about. Boss wants to see you before you go. Oh? <laughs> Take it easy, Arthur. I'll see you in the morning. Yes? Oh. Hello, Arthur. Say, uh, I wonder if you'd like to take on some extra work. Shouldn't take you more than a week or so. You can do it at home. Well, I don't know, Mr. Heston. Couldn't one of the other boys... Well, yes, they could. But I thought it might be a good thing for you. It's an important account. We want it done right. You're our best man, you know, Arthur. I guess I could try it, Mr. Heston, if you think it's all right. I, I mean, if it's that important, maybe the chief ought to handle it. Oh. You know, Arthur, the trouble with you is you're afraid of yourself. You ought to do something about that. Well, sure, Mr. Heston, if you think that I... Oh, no, it's all right. I'll give it to the chief. See you in the morning, Arthur. Thanks for dropping in. (laughs) 
more potatoes, Ma? Ellen, pass your brother the potatoes. He'll get fat if he eats too many, won't he? Oh, you shut up. Don't say shut up to your sister, Terry. May. Yes? Boss wanted me to do some extra work this week. Oh? You know what I told him? I said, no, Mr. Heston. That's what I said. Can you imagine? Now he's trying to get me to do everybody else's job as well. Not good enough for promotion. Maybe it would have been smart to take it. For what? I know Heston. He's waiting for me to make a mistake so he can ease me out. Well, I'm smart. I'm not making any mistakes. Oh, you're smart. All right. Get your hand out of the butter, Terry. Oh, yes, you're so smart. Everybody's wrong, and you're right. Don't stay on the right side of the boss. You tell him how smart you are. You know everything. You think I should have done it? All I know is you've had the same job for nine years. Four raises. I noticed Doug Henry's the head of his department at the store. You're siding with Heston, too, huh? Everything I do stinks. Everything anybody else does... Don't use that language in front of the children. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> and that dog... I... Arthur Bowman's pressures were reaching a highly dangerous stage. Had there been an outlet, a release from his frustrations and fears? Had he been able to voice these thoughts, a murder might never have taken place. But the boiling point had been reached. Having killed once, it was only a question of time before he lost complete control of his hostile feelings. On the 10th of May, he began to tell me about the day which ended in death. I guess I didn't eat much for breakfast that morning. What were you thinking about when you left home to go to work? I don't know. Well, what was your attitude toward your wife then? I mean, did you want to make up? No. No, I didn't. Had your children annoyed you that morning or the night before? Uh, they were siding with her. It, it, it was like with the dog, only maybe worse. I, I had a lot of work to do that afternoon. It must have been about five when Mr. Heston came out of his office. Arthur, hmm? would you take a look at this for a minute? Well, sure, Mr. Heston. There seems to be a discrepancy in the figures for the Southern Metals April accounts. You took care of these, didn't you? Y yes, sir. Well, they've been checked twice now. There, boys, and the chief. I'm afraid you made a slip. I'm sorry, Mr. Heston. No, no, it's all right. Just be more careful, will you? We can't fool around with $50,000 that belongs to someone else, you know. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Heston. It, it won't happen again. Oh, sure, sure. It's okay. You all right, Arthur? Huh? Huh? Oh, sure. Don't let it get you. You're entitled to one mistake. Oh, yes. That reminds me. Could you do me a favor? Oh, I guess so. My car's in the garage. Won't be ready until tomorrow. Would you drop me off on your way home? Unless you're... Oh, no. That's okay. Sure, be, be glad to. Thanks. for your thoughts, Arthur. Hmm? Uh, they're, not, they're not worth it, really. You're not unhappy about Mr. Heston calling you down this afternoon, are you? No, no. He likes you. He does. The trouble with you, Arthur, is you don't let people like you, you know? Uh, I guess so. Listen, I want to talk to you. I've been meaning to for quite a while. There's a bar on the next block. I usually stop by for a drink on the way. I'll let you buy me a martini. How's that? 
Well... Come on, I won't tell your wife. You're safe with me. All right. I, I don't drink, though. Well, uh, maybe a beer. <laughs> oh, I would have bet it was a beer. You can park in the back over there. Here's to you, Arthur. Don't you ever drink anything except beer? No, I, I don't drink much. I can see that. This is my second. You're still nursing your first. I'm sorry. Oh, for heaven's sake. Stop being sorry. That's the first thing. Why are you always sorry? I don't know. I'll tell you something. You know what Mr. Heston thinks about you? No. Well, I'm going to tell you, and it's for your own good. Sure, I understand. He thinks you're wishy-washy. He thinks you've got what it takes, but you're wishy-washy. I don't... You know Heston. He's a nice guy, but he wants a man to say what he thinks. Well, you've been sitting behind that adding machine for nine years. You could have been head of department by now, even Heston's assistant, but you're wishy-washy. I guess that's the way I am. There you go again. You don't even fight. Don't you ever fight? I'm telling you this for your own good, Arthur. I know, I know. What does your wife say? Well, she says the same thing, I suppose. There you are. Don't you ever get mad? Don't you want to hit somebody, make them listen to you? No, I, I don't get mad. That's the trouble. You're a good-looking man, Arthur. You're not so old. You could do big things. But you've got to stop being wishy-washy. If I hadn't got married when I did, I, I was very young then, you know. Maybe I'd be different. Maybe, maybe that's it. Don't you love your wife? I don't know. I, I think so. I don't know. You ought to go out on a binge. That's what you need. And I'm the girl who can take care of it. Call the waiter, Arthur. A nice, loud voice now. You call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Waiter. <laughs> I'm 33, Arthur. Next month, I'll be 34. You don't see me worrying, do you? No, you're you're all right, Ellen. Yeah. Listen, my drinking alone. What's the matter with you? That's still your first. I'll, I'll have another in a while. Now, like that puppy dog you were telling me about. You should have told him it's too bad. I did it. We'll get another. Forget it. You shouldn't brew. I know. You're, you're right. Yeah, I guess it's tough. And you got a wife like May. So you don't you don't know her, Eileen. You you might think differently. Yeah, I'll bet. Nag, nag, nag. No wonder. I feel sorry for you. Oh, well, I guess we better be going, huh? What's the time? Eleven. Hey, we better. You're gonna get it. Come on. <laughs> Turn right at the block after next. That's my street, Arthur. Yes. You mad because of the way I talk tonight? No. It's for your own good. I hate to see you sitting in the office like you do, a nice-looking fellow like you. It's all right. Listen, you can come up for a nightcap if you want. I haven't got any beer, but I'd be glad to... I'd like to, Eileen, but... Well, then, if you'd like to, come on up. Well... It's on the right, beyond the empty lot there. All right. 
You know, if I was a man, you, next time your wife made any kind of a crack, stand up for yourself. Tell her what you think. Oh, this is it, Arthur. <sighs> home, sweet home. Are you coming up? I, I, I don't think I'd better. Thanks, anyway. Arthur. Oh, Arthur. Oh, you kill me. You really do. You're even afraid of me. You're afraid of yourself. You're afraid of your wife. I know what's the matter with you. It's late, Eileen. I, I, you're I, 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 wishy-washy. That's what you are. Please, please don't say that anymore. Just a little thing like having a nightcap in a girl's apartment and you act like a scared kid. Oh, boy, what a husband you'd make. Please don't say anymore. Maybe I'm wrong about your wife. Maybe she's the one I should feel sorry Shut for. Shut up. She's got to put up with you every day. Shut oh, up. Stop it. Arthur, you're wishy-washy. That's what you are. Wishy-washy. Stop it. Stop well, it. Well, you are. You're afraid of me and you're I'll afraid kill of... You. I'll oh. kill you. I'll kill What did you do after that? I knew she was dead. I just opened the door. She fell out on the sidewalk. I went home. Do you know that it was wrong to kill her? Yes. Yes, I know. How did you feel toward your wife then? I was sorry. I guess. I mean, the, the trouble it's going to mean. But why, Doctor? Why did I kill? Why did I kill Eileen? Why? Why did Arthur Bowman kill a comparative stranger? It might have been any woman, any stranger. It happened to be Eileen. She had treated him as had all the others in his life who had dominated and frustrated him. And although his semi-conscious resentment was directed toward his wife, he could no more kill her than he could have killed his own mother. His repressed angers had reached the point of explosion. Had he, throughout his life, been able to voice these emotions, he would not have resorted to violence. Arthur Bowman was brought to trial in August. More than two dozen witnesses, including his employer, John Heston, appeared in his behalf. The defense based their case on the fact that the defendant was not conscious of the wrongful nature of the act at the time he committed the crime. In a moment, we will tell you the outcome of this case. Science is now undertaking one of the most intensive research programs in history as it battles the menace of cancer. To continue this vital research... We must all join the cancer crusade of the American Cancer Society. Strike back at cancer. Give generously to your unit of the American Cancer Society. Now for the outcome of the trial of Arthur Bowman. The attempt on the part of the defense to prove Bowman legally insane was unsuccessful, and the jury found him guilty. He was convicted of murder.
violence. The story of a true crime is written by Anthony Ellis. Harry Bartell is Dr. Richard Morley. Supporting Mr. Bartell were Ted Osborne as Arthur Bowman, Jeanette Nolan as May, and Virginia Gregg as Eileen. Featured in the cast were Lou Merrow, Bill Boucher, Richard Beals, Janine Ann Roos, and John Stevenson and David Light. Violence is directed by Norman MacDonald. The special music is composed and conducted by Marlon Skiles. Clarence Cassell speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. silent herald of life and death, success or failure, the unseen force that measures man's destiny, reaching its most fateful moment as it slowly strikes the 11th hour. to me, Joe. I've been fishing in these waters here for more years than you've got brains in your rig. And I'm telling you, it was some horrible monster that came out of the sea. What it was, I don't know. But I'm warning everyone for miles around to stay out of the water. Because sure as my name's Sam Miller, anyone goes in that water before the dark of the moon is taking his life in his hands. Shh! It's Lordship. Uh, looks to be in a bit of a temper now, don't you? Well, what is it? What is it? Uh... If it please your lordship, uh, my name is Sam Miller. Oh, never mind that. I know who you are. You're the fellow I caught poaching rabbits last month when I was walking now, through the wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't catch me poaching nothing. It's an honest fisherman I am, I'll have you know. Oh, honest, are you? Let me tell you, I never forget a face. But if yours isn't the face of the rogue... Oh, rogue, is it? Yeah, that's how he calls me a rogue. A fine one he is to be talking. Why, you, you, you impudent loafers! Out of my house! Out of my house! But, Your Lordship, we want to tell you... You tell me nothing, you thieving crooks! Oh, it's thieving now, is it? Why, for two pins, Lordship, or no Lordship, I'd bash that nose of yours so flat it'd look like a flounder. Jenkins! Throw these scoundrels out of here! Jenkins! We'll go. We'll go. There'll be nobody throwing us out. I told you, Sam, I told you. Out of here! Get out! Out! These scoundrels! Oh, we're scoundrels, are we, you old coot? We was only trying to warn him that he shouldn't go out to sea. Not word. Out! Out! Jenkins, call the police! Oh, come on, Sam. Let's get out of here. Aristocrat, he calls himself. If he's a gentleman, I'm the Prime Minister. Dad, if you dare trespass on my property again, I'll have the law on your dirty necks, a pair of you. There's no need to shout, Charles. They've gone. Infernal rascals. But I don't understand. They spoke of coming here to warn you. Oh, warn me? Nonsense. Some tricky scheme that I didn't even give them a chance to exploit. Loafers, a pair of them. 
But I know these men. They're from the village. Good, honest fishermen. Honest? Oh, oh they're no good, Jane. Not one of them. If they keep up their infernal impudence, this community's going to lose my trade. You can depend on that. We'll never spend another season here, not if I have anything to say about it. Oh, but this is our summer home, darling. Oh, come, you get yourself so needlessly excited. Two men of the village come here with some sort of warning. I'm warning them, confounded shirkers. All right, all right, we'll drop the subject. Now, where's that guest of yours? You said he'd be here by ten o'clock and it's almost noon. <clears throat> oh, my guests. Yes, that's true. What is it, Charles? Well, I... Didn't I tell you? Tell me what, dear? My guest. It's not a man. No? No. It's Madeline Kay. You've heard of her? Madeline Kay? Oh, no, I'm afraid not. Who is she? No, it's a matter of business. I couldn't arrange to see her at the office, you know, because of this little outing, so I asked Miss Kay to come here. Pay frightfully large fees, these Americans, you know. American? Won't you please tell me who she is, Charles? Surely you know her, Madeline Kay, film actress. Oh, the big blonde wench we saw in that bang-bang gangster picture. Oh, no, don't talk like that. Well, the picture was definitely a bang-bang gangster epic. I remember distinctly at least seven of the gangsters died of lead poisoning. Jane, you have the most outrageous sense of humor. I'm speaking of the woman, my client. Oh, you mean she isn't a blonde wench? Really, my dear, your choice of words is sometimes most inappropriate. Miss Kay is definitely an artist and, a, and my client. Oh. oh, yes, of course. But uh, was it necessary to have her come out here? Why not? This is our home, darling. But I told you it's most important that she consult me. Her financial affairs, you know. No, I don't know. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Wait, Scott, Jane, you're not going to be difficult just because I invited a client out here. Confounded, silly suspicions. Just a moment, Charles. I have no suspicion. Oh, your attitude. And I have no attitude. You've invited this woman here on business, and I assure you I'll do everything possible to make her stay a pleasant one. Will she be here for dinner? Well, to tell the truth. For the weekend? Well, a fortnight. You know how these Americans are pushing. A fortnight. Very well, Charles. I'll go and tell Jenkins to prepare her room. Oh, um, looks as though your guests have already arrived, Charles. Charles! Oh, Charles! Here I am! You'd better go out and welcome her. Yes, yes, of course. Are you coming along? Of course. Careful of that luggage, you idiot. If you scratch it, I'm going to be so Did mad. you say for a fortnight, Charles? She has enough luggage for a permanent invasion. Well, she... Uh, well, let's say she's... Oh, Charles! Oh, Charles, how nice. You've come out to your doorstep to welcome me, just like a foodle night or something. Hi, George Madeline, it's good to see you. Madeline? Eh? You said something? No. Oh, yes, Madeline, uh, this is Jane, my wife. How do you do? Oh, how do you do? Charles, tell me, what do you think of my new car? Sharp, isn't she? You see, I did take your advice. You must be tired off your trip, Miss Kay. Tired? I'm never tired. Am I, Charles? You ought to know. Tried to walk my feet off around the deck. But I wore you down, didn't I? Oh, you met on Charles's trip to America. Madeline, you must be tired. Rest before tea, perhaps. Rest? With all that beautiful ocean right there at the end of the lawn? I should say not. Swim? Just what I need. Charles, why don't you get out one of your little boats and take me out there in the middle of that blue water so I can have a dip? Well, I... Let's say... Of course you'll do as Miss Kay asks, Charles. Get out the skiff while I show her to her room. 
I'm sure she'll want to change before bathing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always use a bathing suit, <laughs> at least while the sun's shining. Run along, Charles. Get that little old boat out. <laughs> you and I have all sorts of talking to do, haven't we, darling? Yes. Yes, of course. This way, Miss Kay. Oh. Jenkins has already taken your things up. If you'll just follow me. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I saw stairs like these was on a set in Hollywood. I've always wanted a place like this. Yes, it's very pleasant here during the summer months with the breeze coming in from over the bay. It's really quite nice. Hmm, plenty nice. Right in here, Miss Kay. Everything arranged, Jenkins? Uh, yes, your ladyship. His lordship gave me full instructions this morning. Miss Kay's rooms are just as he wanted them. As he... Oh, yes, of course. In here, Miss Kay. Hmm... Not bad. Not bad at all. The servants are off this afternoon. I'm sorry there's no one to help you, help you unpack. Oh, that's all right. I got a bathing suit right in this case here someplace. I, I think I can get into it myself if I hold my breath. I uh, I did want to talk to you. Talk? Go right ahead. Mm. No. You want to dress? Oh, stick around. We're all girls together, huh? What's on your mind? You are very pretty. Hmm. And you're not as old as I thought you'd be. You met my husband for the first time on the boat coming back to England. Oh, these cockeyed, blankety catches have all the rotten luggage. There, that does it. Now, where's that doggone suit? You did meet Charles for the first time on the boat, didn't you? Yeah, of course I did. Phew, am I putting it on in the wrong places? Will your business keep you in England very long? Long? I should hope. Why have you come here, Miss Kay? <laughs> Charles invited me. Didn't you know? Why have you come here? <laughs> what you mean is, madam, are your intentions strictly honorable? <laughs> I played a part like that once in stock, and was I lousy? Terrible. Why don't you answer me directly? Okay, why not? What have I got to lose? Even if you pass along what I say to Charles, he won't believe you. <laughs> He's a gentleman. Or isn't he? Tell me. What is there to tell? You guessed it. Charles thought you wouldn't. But I knew you would. It's been going on ever since he met you. Oh, you catch on fast, don't you? You are cold. <laughs> Sister, when you've been around the way I have, you get to know all the answers. And you make up a couple of new ones, too. But Charles is over 20 years older than you. Oh, I'm with 20 million more dollars than me. But you're wealthy. <laughs> because I'm an American movie star. I heard... Ah, oh, press agent stuff. 5,000, 6,000. Sure, I made that much a week. But I spend it, too. And now, I'm on the skids, as far as Hollywood's concerned. I... I beg your pardon? Skids! You know, a one-way street leading down. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, I wouldn't talk like this to my own sister. But as long as you and me have got our hair down, what's the difference? Truth is, I'm just about washed up in pictures. Oh, not that I can't act circles around many of those little tramps they've got out there, but it's just that, well, I was way up there, and now I'm on my way down. That's that. <laughs> so? So you met Charles on shipboard and fell in love with him. Love? Oh! <laughs> You're laughing. Well, I'm sure not crying. Look, little Alice in Wonderland, I'm about as much in love with your husband as I am with that dressing table over there. Oh. But I am going to marry him. You what? I said I'm going to marry him. My husband? No, he won't be for long. You either have a poor sense of humor or you're absolutely insane. No, I suppose you'll pull the line about my husband loves me, he'll never leave me. He won't leave me. No? I know, Charles. There have been others. But he never invited any of those others to his home. Now, did he? But he did invite me. And I'll stay here as long as I please. And in the end, I won't be the one to go. How can you say such terrible things? Uh-huh. Not so sure of yourself anymore, are you, Lady Jane? They've never been as pretty as I am, have they? And they never knew their way around the way I do now, did they? You'll go. I won't permit you to stay. Oh, really? Charles wouldn't dare. Ready, Madeline? Already. Come on in. Oh. Well, well, what a charming picture you make. <laughs> I think so, too. Charles, could I speak to you alone? No, no, I... no, not now, Jane. I want to take Madeleine for a sail before the wind changes. Come, Madeleine. <laughs> right with you. See you later, Jane. Better take my arm, Madeleine. These old steps are quite steep, you know. Oh, yeah, After all, I wouldn't want anything to happen to so charming a guest as you. Oh, Oh, Charles. There he goes, Sam. I see him. But we ought to warn him. I tried. You saw what I got? Fair booted me out of the place. He's got his lady with him in the boat. You ought to warn her, at least. This lady. Where's your eyes? That ain't a ladyship. The sun's so bright on the water, I can't quite make out. Her ladyship's a lady. She wouldn't be wearing a suit like that. Yellow and not enough of it to... Aye, it's not her ladyship, is it? What have I been telling you, you fool? Of course it's not her ladyship. Let them sail out there. Why should I warn the likes of them? No, I'll not waste a breath warning him or her. Not a breath.
Now, Charles, steer the boat. I'd give anything. Anything. Yes, yes, yes. Name it. Mm-hmm. Not now. What was that? Hmm? What? Well, didn't you hear it? Like a fish. See, you don't have sharks in these parts, do you? No sharks, of course not. Well, there it is again. Yes, I heard it. But the water's so smooth. Oh, it's just a fish jumping. <laughs> oh, this is cozy. Becalmed at a very opportune time, if I may say so. Yeah. I can't very well walk home, can I? I'd give up anything for you. Mm, you'll have your chance. Anything. Oh. What is it? Well, I... Well, I thought I saw that rope up there move. Rope? Well, there's another one, Charles. Look, another one. Is, is it a snake? It came out of the water. Well... Oh, no. Look, it's moving down along the deck. Charles, Charles, how can there be snakes out here? Not snakes. And what? I mean, tell me, what? But there's two of them. They're slimy. There's, there's another. And another one. Coming out of the water. Oh, no, it can't be. Well, what it is can't. it, Charles? What is it? What is it? Oh! <laughs> Hear it, Sam. Hear it. Aye, I hear it. There's trouble out there. For what I'm asking. I can't see. They're too far off. Listen to that. Sam, it can't be. It can't be that. Heaven forgive me. I should have warned him. Dirty pride or not, I should have warned him. I should have. Men, men, fishermen. Sam, it's her ladyship running this way. Heaven help her. What could she do? Oh, help me. Help me, please. Heaven help you, ma'am. What can we do? Listen, did you hear them? Sure we did, Mom. Yeah, we heard. So they're in trouble. Something's terribly wrong. I don't know what. You tell me, you. We don't know, Mom. We don't know. Ah, and that's the truth, so help us. See, see out there, they're waving their arms. It's something terrible. They're calling to us. Oh, don't just stand there. Get into your boats. We've got to get, get out there and help them. Out there? Sam, did you hear her? I heard her. But that don't mean I've got to do it. Not me. Oh, but you must. You must. Oh, no. But my husband heaven only knows what's out there. Help me, I beg you. You've got to help me. <laughs> Listen to them calling. Calling. Oh, help me in mercy's name. Help me to get to him. I Come in, then, Mom. Oh, God bless you. Sam. Sam, have you lost your head? You're not going out there. Stepping forward, ma'am. Yes. Watch your step. <laughs> Sam, you're balmy. It's death out there. The death. Hand me the oars, Joe. And shove her off. Sam, you can't be going out there. It's the one that warned us off, the rest of us. And now you're going out yourself. You can't do it, oh, man. Hurry, Sam, hurry, please. Shove her off, Joe. No, Sam, I won't let you do it. Alone. Sure. Sure, I, I'll help. I'll shove you I'm coming with you. Oh, good man. Oh, thank you, Joe. Only hurry, hurry. But we will. Dig your oars in deep, Joe. Deep it is. Give it a self, maybe waiting out there. Meet him. Faster now, Sam. Roll faster. Behind 
me, Madeleine. Stay behind me. Horrible things reaching out. You gotta tell me what they are. What are they? Tell me. Arms coming out of the water. Body must be underneath. What are you talking about, Charles? What body? It's body. There. Feel shaking the boat. It's holding on with those horrible arms. Charles. Charles, what is it? What? Tell me. A giant octopus. An octopus larger than this boat. See? Suckers on its tentacles. Oh, Charles, my leg. One of those crawling things is on my leg. Get it off! The boat! Lifting the boat right out of the water! Get off with your arm on! 
Lucas, did you all right out of me, Ash? Look, another arm. And they're all moving up to order. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. Go. Aye, not so. Picked her right up out of the boat. And now the water's so calm and clear. And his lordship and the blonde one dead. Dead under the sea. Dead and under the sea. Better so. Success or failure, the unseen force that measures man's destiny, reaching its most fateful moment as it slowly strikes the eleventh hour. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello, a suggestion, a request, hey, even a critique, feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. Also check out my YouTube channel. Subscribe. Like the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>